It's Song Talk Radio. Good evening, and well, good afternoon, or good day, depending on when you happen to be listening to us. Welcome back to the show, folks. This is the show called Song Talk Radio. And if you happen to be new to all this, this is the show where we talk about songwriting. Basically, we all share tips and tricks and things we've figured out along the way. And in the end, hopefully, we all learn at least three new things on how to write better songs each and every show. I'm your host tonight, Phil Emery, and uh, my usual partner in crime, Neil Modi. He is on assignment in Bulgaria, so I'm going to both be pressing the buttons and doing the talking, which sometimes is not the best idea. Before we get started, a couple of things. Um, one, we are still taking entries into the contest to win Joy Cafone's book on creativity, Laws of Creativity, Unlock Your Originality, and Awaken Your Creative Genius. To win, all you have to do is just send us an email to feedback at songtalk.ca with how you deal with creativity or something along those lines. And we'll enter you into the contest to win a free copy of the book. That's uh, feedback at songtalk.ca. And um, it's actually a really good book. So if you, uh, even if you don't win, I think you should actually go out and buy it because it's a really good book. And if you don't win it, just go to your local book seller and I'm sure they'll be happy to fix you up with a copy. Uh, the upcoming songwriting challenge will have something to do with modes. So uh, in the meantime, uh, keep your ears peeled for modi type things out there on the internet. And uh, then we're going to have a couple of shows dedicated to exploring this often uh, misunderstood songwriting tool. On to our guest. Bill Bartholomew is a singer, songwriter, musician, podcaster, radio host, and television journalist based in Providence, Rhode Island. He cut his teeth in Brooklyn's DIY scene at uh, New York clubs like Mercury Lounge and The Knitting Factory, entering internationally as a solo artist and a member of the band Silver Teeth before relocating to Providence, Rhode Island. It is there that he has established himself as one of New England's top media personalities as host of his popular Bartholomew Town podcast, TV at uh, PBS, and on regional powerhouse talk radio station WPRO. 2022 saw him return to his roots with the release of his latest album, Beige. The Independent wrote, A pure sound quality that highlights the songwriting craft as it is being informed by an original artistic identity, an indie rock foundation with a folk and country element bouncing off it. He has been featured on NPR, Vice, Showtime, and MTV. And let's have a sample of his song now. She's a this world so I turn in the valley head like that lonely one lonely song to just let it go all all by itself and then we wouldn't have a show thanks for being on the show bill yeah my pleasure thanks for having me and i'm very happy to be here so let's talk about your songwriting process are you a lyrics first uh, person a music first person um concept first what is your process like well i have this um i don't know if it's a theory or concept but it's just sort of what i kind of identify with as a songwriter that it's not that every song is already written and you're pulling it in from, you know, some sort of uh, uh, imagined or real place out there in the cosmos. But I imagine myself as sort of an antenna and every idea is out there. And the, the challenge is to just get into the right headspace, the right creative space um, and sort of harvest those ideas and pull them in. And for me, that's just how I've kind of worked as a songwriter and really in, in any medium uh, as far back as I can remember. No, 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 there are, of course, technical aspects to it where I'll think of different tunings or, you know, looking at different 
ways of, you know, uh, taking a lyric and making it more interesting. Obviously, that's there. But for the most part, it's based on just this notion of, all right, let's just create something. And it's inexplicable. It's mysterious. I'm so fascinated by songwriting in that sense, because you go from nothing to this musical experience that is entirely unique. And I try not to overthink in those early creative phases, especially, you know, at this point where I'm really open to just seeing where the song takes me. I rarely go in with sort of a mentality of, I want this type of song, or I'm going for this type of vibe, or here's my prompt. In fact, I find it really difficult if someone were to give me a prompt, if they were to say, hey, write a song about you know, elephants or something like that. Almost certainly I would not like this song <laughs> whatsoever. But if if I'm just in that creative space and I go to that place, uh, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and work, put the work in, put the time in, uh, out of the many, many ideas that will be created in that burst of energy, something or some things typically in batches will catch my attention and just sort of become a foundation for a song, which then goes to voice memo. And then from voice memo, after listening, it usually goes to a combination of a Pro Tool session where I play all the instruments and start to work on it from there. In addition to writing a lyric or two down as I listen back to myself and say, what what did I say there? Um, the key for me is phonetics. You know, I I start in a place of a musical progression almost 100% of the time on guitar, very rarely on keyboard or something like that. But, and I'll just start singing. And and there's rarely a lyric to be had in the early stages, but there's a phonetic progression that I use as a way to, uh, or or, or as it's almost a space for me to decode what it is that I'm trying to say. Yes. I I think you and I work uh, in much the same way. That's how I do it. Start off with the music and just to sort of, and then try to eventually eke out a song. Uh, I've probably said this on the show before, but I had a song that I was working on and used to play it uh, on my iPod on the way to work and on the way back. And um, I think each trip I added one word to this to the song. Mm-hmm. But I'm really happy with it. I'm like, it's one of my best songs, I think, but it, it took me a long time. Now, are you um, are you writing every day or... Because you do a lot of stuff. How are you getting all this stuff done? <laughs> it's it's wild. I don't write every day, but when I get into a period, which I'm fortunate to be in one right now where I'm writing a lot, um, it's it's a daily occurrence. It's mixed in. And most of the time when I start the creative process, it's usually at night. I have found that that's the most fertile space mm. for me, you know, eight or nine o'clock at night. And to just pick up a guitar, hit record on a voice memo, and just work for an hour or an hour and a half or something in that space and listen back the next day and start to decide, hey, what was a song? What was just an idea? Sometimes song ideas merge together. Sometimes something that started as a song diverges and becomes multiple songs. Um... So I don't write every day. I don't have a super disciplined scenario where it's like, okay, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I've got to write or whatever. I just kind of follow the energy and the instinct. And especially now that I, I put out a record a month and a half ago, now I'm fully focused on just doing the creative side, which is my by far favorite portion, you know, writing songs and performing live are my favorite things. And I, I just always try to have the goal of in, inside myself saying, are we moving forward? Are we, do we have new material? Do we have new songs? Do we have things that are exciting happening on the music side? And if the answer is yes, then I'm pretty much satisfied with that. When you're writing your uh, lyrics, are you thinking about things like uh, rhyme schemes or any of that? Or is it just purely organic? I would say more so organic in in. You know, I played in New York with a lot of hip hop artists when I lived in New York, which I I lived there for 10 years. And a lot of my shows were with with hip hop artists or I was exposed to a lot of poets. And from there, you know, you learn the essential nature of rhyme scheme and of using that as the driving force for rhythm. 
So it's definitely there for me. I'm, I care about it. I listen to it uh, in any music, even in quite frankly, even in, in instrumentals, you know, there's a, there's a phrase, a phraseology to it that is important yeah, to understand. True. That's true. But, but I don't generally sit there with a pad and paper, although I work on legal paper. And if you saw my wall right now behind the camera, it's covered in legal paper with like tacked up with a line or two. It almost always starts in that organic space of, let me get into the creative place. Let me just write, um, do the voice memo. And really what happens is, is I go in and make these Pro Tools demos, multi-instrument, uh, multi-vocal take Pro Tools demos, where I'll do a vocal, uh, the lead vocal, take one, have no lyrics or maybe two or three lines, and I'm just singing from that phonetic place. And I'll double it. And then I'll do right, a, right. two or three harmonies. And they don't always line up. And that's an interesting excursion to go in and say, what did I say there? And what could I say there? And, oh, that's really interesting. You know, and you, you, I find things that are, I'm certain I wouldn't find if I set out intentionally to sit there and write it. It's not to dismiss. In fact, I really admire the writers that can say, mm -hmm. hey, here's my theme. Let me write a song that's essentially poetry. But just my process has just been this organic sort of, hey, let's, like you said, on the way to work, um, you know, I'd nothing better than being in the car, putting on a voice memo of something and having that eureka moment, you know, on some highway somewhere and going, Oh, that's what I, that's what I was trying to get to when I was yeah. saying, whatever it was, I was saying, whatever that, that mumbo jumbo was, it, it actually was meant to be this and right. having a piece of lyric that you're then certain is the right piece. It's it's true because I think the um, you can really let the song find those long vowels and and find those hooks that yeah. might be hard if you start off with a lyric first. And that process certainly works for lots of people. I don't know if you've seen the uh, Beatles uh, movie Get Back. Sure. You know Paul McCartney worked mostly that way, and there's a part of the movie where he's actually trying to figure out Get Back, and he's just going. And, you know, that's how and I identify with that. Um, mm -hmm. But one thing we did do as um, a song challenge, I think just the recent one, is that we wrote, I think, it was, yeah, we wrote from a, a title, which is something I haven't done before. Have you ever done that? I have. And it's, there's the, there's a few examples that come to mind, but one <laughs> I go back to is my my friend Christopher Nod, who's a wonderful songwriter uh, here in in Rhode Island, and he and I lived in Brooklyn together as well. He had uh, we we were at some some porch somewhere, like hanging out after I think it was a band practice, and there was this kid who was for some reason telling a story about when he was in high school. Had he had um, there's a there was another student who put nickels into a chicken sandwich or a hamburger or something like that, which is obviously extremely dangerous and, you know, horrible thing to do. But, but, but the word nickels, you know, jumped out at both of us. And we both were like, let's write, let's each, I don't even know if we said to each other, let's do this. We just both went and wrote songs called nickels. And I've had experiences like that where the most random title will jump out at me. But it usually, like I said, it's really tough for me to have an intentional pathway to a song from the get-go. I've written some podcast theme songs, which are instrumental. Um, and it's it's like, you know, very, it's very, you know, a, a corporate type of work, but you get a brief and, and you know, there's, it's like, here's a, here's a podcast. It's going to be about the blue economy, for example, which is, you know, ocean oriented. So now I have to go into it with a dedicated headspace and I have to write a theme song that is, you know, based on what do I hear in the ocean? What do I hear in technology? How can I take these ideas and put them down into a, some kind of quick five to 15 second theme? Hmm. And that is an enormous challenge for me. And I enjoy it, but it is, it's not something that I would want to do every single day. It's, uh, and I admire those writers that can really um, write for other artists with that type of an approach or write for themselves for the, with that exact approach. But that just really isn't me in, in, no. in some, in terms of how I go about things. 
That was the first time I've ever written from a title. We've had lots of guests uh, write from titles. It's very common in Nashville, apparently. Yeah, it is. Yep. Because you know, a great t- a title, especially in that in that market, seems to work really well. But I have to admit, yeah. I did wind up getting music that I don't think I would have gotten to otherwise. Right. Right. You're going to get an entry point. Right. Yeah. Well, and we talk. That's one of the things we do with the challenges. We're trying to push ourselves out of our uh, comfort zone. And, you know, not permanently, mm-hmm. but just trying to sort of think, okay, what happens if I do this? What do you, how are you approaching your song structures, especially with, you know, the short attention spans these days? It's something I've been struggling a lot with uh, songs because I'm always used to like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, end, which is a really long song now. And it's everything's short these days. And even as an old punk, yeah. I'm, not, I'm struggling with song length, but how are you dealing with that these days? Well, you had a really good episode on on this show recently with the, the prompt or the theme was bridges, but there was a discussion on song length and mm. it's, it, you know, it's really fascinating because there's one thing that's, that's a definite truth right now, which is that attention spans are short, except for if something is really engaging, you know, and then you'll get people to have that TSL statistic, time spent listening, which is like a statistic that radio and podcast people obsess over. And songwriters, probably not so much, although you can get those metrics on Bandcamp and Spotify and things like that. So for me, you know, yeah, it does matter. I have been for the last 10 years, really focused on that 320 number. But a less is more approach in general, I think is really important. But I'm also very interested in the experimental, the full creative expression. So if a song ends up being closer to four minutes and by chiseling off things, it's going to impact that creative message. I'm less concerned about it today. And I'll tell you why, you know, there, there, I I was working on a song this past weekend where I realized, oh, I can just do a very quick three second sort of fade in of some noise, like take a guitar and get some feedback and the right keyboard pad and then bam, into the verse. Like we don't need this big setup. Uh, But why I'm less concerned about writing shorter songs right now is because of my exposure and experience with TikTok and similarly Instagram reels and Hmm. YouTube shorts. And on those micro video platforms where there's a huge audience and there's people on there who will basically spend much, if not all of their consumption time there, you know, you as a songwriter in any given song are capable of finding a five, seven, 10, maximum 15 second bite that can live in those spaces that can live in the short, shortest of short form spaces. And to me, if someone finds while scrolling through TikTok comes across a five second bite of my song and they're moved by it and they find it compelling, to me, I count that as a listen. What's the difference if they listen to every song you've ever written for four hours or eight hours or 20 hours, whatever it is, versus five seconds if they're moved by it? You know, for me as a kid growing up listening to radio, you know, you flip through, you catch the end of a song, you go, what was that? Oh man, I, I need to know what that is. Maybe you followed up. Maybe you go buy the record at the record store. Maybe you just look for it to come up on the radio again. But if nothing else, you had that moment. You had that experience with that piece of music. So I'm less worried about like, geez, you know, no one's listening to, no one spends that much time with content. You know, they 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 keep moving along. Well, if someone wants to go to Spotify or Bandcamp or come out to a show, you might see at a show, you know, a live show, I tend to go onto these really experimental, uh, whatever you want to call them. They're not even solos. I'll do feedback. I'll do spoken word over it. I'll pick up a megaphone. I'll add percussion, whatever the case is. Or if I'm with my band, we'll kind of jam. And then there's that version. And then, then there's the recorded version that's maybe 320 or 340. But then there's the TikTok version, which is this is all new for me. This is within this year. But what's the compelling, very short portion of the song that tells as much of the story about you as an artist and about your passion, your emotion, your soul, as you can reveal in a short format. And if I can find that given bite, then I'm way less concerned about shaving off to get it as 
neat, quote unquote, as possible to fit the the sort of standard of today, which is like you said in that episode of your your show here a couple of a uh, couple episodes ago. You know, people are writing short songs. It's it's not just in the punk context. It's like no. you know, big big artist Taylor Swift type artist. The songs are short. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing with um, with TikTok to actually look at your music sort of in not just as a whole, but also small pieces. Yeah. You also said something that I've always wondered about is playing live because uh, I was in punk bands and we used to just play the songs the way we recorded them. Mm -hmm. So that meant that you had to have like 40, 50 songs to play a night because you're all... <laughs> But then I'd go off and watch other bands and they'd be having these songs really, really long. And so when you are presenting these songs live to people, how do you decide how long it should be? Because I think having something longer, I understand now, works better because it does help people get into the song more, especially if they haven't heard it before. It's, you know, it really depends on the moment. We've had... And, and I have a fairly consistent live band. In some cases, we've been playing together for 20 years. Um, and uh, it's it's feeling the moment and going with it. We have a, I, whether when I'm playing solo, I have a very improvisational um, instinct. And if something feels right and there's a space and you've got a crowd engaged, why leave that? Why go all right, we got to move on to the next song. I'll, I'd rather play a five song set of, and get into some of these. Like I said, I, I love when I'm playing solo now, I've, I've, you know, sometimes I'll just stand there. No mic. I can totally do that. You know, I've bust in New York. I've played amazing scenarios where it's literally no, nothing but me and myself and a guitar, but I'm also now using a lot of my electric pedals when I play solo acoustic and I'll let's, let's just stay here. Let's get into a moment of, a big drone and let's keep it let's dial it in let's keep everybody on the edge of their seat as long as we can and then there's also a moment where it's like all right this is obviously just like self gratifying yeah. nonsense and and sometimes it's horrifying to listen back to some of the tapes because you go all right that dude that was complete nonsense you could have been in and out of that song so it's just a learning process and it's just feeling an audience and when it's full band um or when it's with my the band I played with for many years that is now on hiatus, Silver Teeth, um, with, with my partner, Gabriella Rossi, you know, sometimes we would just enter into, we had songs that just ended out of nowhere. You know, these are regular quote unquote songs that just, just turned into noise with the drummer kind of shredding and just us just, you know, really giving it hmm. experimental noise. And it's almost like how much can the crowd stand? <laughs> before we, you know, and before we become unwelcome here. And that mm. test is a really interesting one as well. So it, it's always just figuring what, what, what does this moment call for? What would I want to see if I was in the crowd right now? And it doesn't always need to be, in my opinion, um, technically really great. And, yeah. and there's this, you're, I know you're Canadian, so, or, or, or at least recording in Canadian and you certainly <laughs> sound the Canadian, so which is a, a high, high praise in the songwriting world. That's a boot right, <laughs> exactly. But there's a Canadian band. I, I don't know if you're familiar with them, Blue Rodeo. Of course. So when I was in high school, there's there's this show. It's still on. It's called Austin City Limits. It's on PBS, and I was you know scrolling through, and I was into like alternative rock and punk and indie and classic rock things like this, but. I'm scrolling through and I just got into like the Jayhawks and the alt country songwritery stuff. But I came across on Austin City Limits, this band that was like, what is this? This is amazing. And it was Blue Rodeo. And what engaged me so much was the, the songwriting, the, the pair of songwriters, Jim Cuddy and, and Greg Keeler. But then the guitar playing, the experimental aspect of it. And Greg Keeler and Jim Cuddy, I wouldn't say that they're like amazing quote unquote musicians, but Greg Keeler played the best guitar solo that I've ever seen live in my life, hands down. And mm -hmm. when I saw Blue Rodeo one of many times in 2002 at the House of Blues in Boston on, an, on a, uh, the outro of a song called Five Days in May. And it made me, and that song, you know, the, the record version is actually pretty long. It's probably like four and a half minutes. That was like a 10 minute version of that song. And 
it, it could have gone on longer. And it was just shredding noise, reverb. I mean, the guy left. It's like an athlete that leaves nothing on the uh, on the field. And that was a seminal moment for me to realize that's what I want to be. I want to just be in someone who can express and find tools to express what's inside of me. And that was, the Blue Rodeo was just like such an important band to me. One of the things I loved about Blue Rodeo is they have two songwriters that have, it's really rare, two songwriters to have compatible yet different style. Like you always knew yes. whose song was who, but they still sounded like Blue Rodeo, which I think is a, can be a real challenge. And they still work together for a long time because very often two strong personalities like that would, would clash, but they seem to have made it work. And one healthy thing about them, besides the bond of their backstory, which, you know, they went to New York and they had different projects and so on and so forth, is that they have solo projects as well. Jim Cuddy band, Greg Killer's yeah. got some got a killer new record out right now with his solo band. And I've been in a number of bands in over the years, my high school band, my college band and, and whatnot, that we've had multiple songwriters. And it's, you know, there's always a competitiveness and there's always a challenge. I was in one that, that's on hiatus, which was really my most, I think, commercially, quote unquote, successful band, uh, Silver Teeth, where my partner, Gabriella Rossi, she wrote songs that were very different than me. But we found a way to coexist and create a space that was definitively Silver Teeth. And now we're both doing solo records. And I think that's super healthy and it's great. And I think we probably will play again. Silver Teeth, I think we'll be back at some point. Um, and if it, it's one of those things that either works or it doesn't. And there's not much worse than going to see a band with multiple writers when one of the writers, the primary writer, has a great thing going that the crowd is into, everyone's singing along, and then it's like, okay, now it's the drummer's turn. He's got his song. We're going to do that now. And, you know, and, and and you go, oh, geez. In fact, the Jayhawks have that kind of weakness, I think, where if it's not in the modern iteration, if it's not Gary Loris, the primary writer, you know, there's a big drop off there. And hmm. there's a band based out of Rhode Island that has a similar thing where it's like, oh, okay, now the drummer's doing his song. Okay, there's a huge drop off there. And if it if it works, it works great. If it doesn't, it is it's very uncomfortable to listen to. Of course, there's that very cruel musician drummer joke, which is like, what's the last thing that the drummer said to the band? I have a song. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> that's dangerous. But I, I've actually worked with some fantastic drummers, so that's not always true. So let's talk about Lonely One. What was the process on this song? I wrote that song uh, not this past summer, but the summer beforehand. And I was kind of living on my own. And it was sort of just a, a, about um, about my partner and for for them and it just kind of came in one burst and it was a magical writing experience because of that and the 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 song the title lonely one was actually written on a painting that this person made so there's one of those scenarios where i didn't write the song based on the title i didn't say okay lonely one even the spelling uh lonely the number one um I didn't say, oh, I want to write that song. It's just, it was ingrained in me. I saw it, I thought about it, and then it came out in the creation of this this piece of music, which of course I polished over a year or so. And I chose that song to send to you guys, number one, because I really do like it. And and I think that there's a there's a there's a, an element of it that I that isn't much, you know, I haven't done something in that vein that I've been that excited about in terms of like a Beatles-y mm. uh, type of song. I don't know how else to describe it. That's really not what I mean. It's, I don't think it's at the level of the Beatles, but you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's just in that vein. It certainly had elements of it, I thought. <laughs> it, yeah. it definitely, I appreciate the, because it, it, it kind of comes from that place of music. Mm. But what what was really interesting about that song was when I, I recorded this last record all by myself here in my loft space in Providence, I played all the instruments, I rent, did Pro Tools myself, mixed it, all that. And I had just about wrapped the record. And of course, my computer crashed. And oh, no. at, luckily, the Apple store, after like two weeks of really not freaking out, I actually was pretty proud of the way I handled it. I tried to like stay calm and just, and in fact, in my head, I was like, okay, if this doesn't work out, if I don't, if I lost the record, 
just going to book a studio. And this was the demo session. And now I'm super prepared to go into the studio. But I, I was able to get every song back except for Lonely One. And oh. I was st- so discouraged because I loved the way that Lonely One was coming out on this record. I love the vocal take. It was like, I just, it just worked, you know. And my roommate uh, here at this loft space, an awesome songwriter named Randy Robbins, uh, he said, I think he can do it better. I was like, I don't know. But, you know, there's something magical about this, that take that's now gone forever. I might just not use the song. And he was like, I'm going to try it. And so it was a hot weekend. I can't have the AC on in this big warehouse space because I'm recording. And I remember being drenched in sweat. And finally, at, on Sunday night, I set the goal. If I don't have this finished by Sunday night, I'm just going to move move the song, scrap the song, do it another time. And I said, all right, I think I have it. I printed it. I drove to this coastal location that I love, uh, Black Point Rocks in Narragansett, Rhode Island, a spectacular place, like being on the moon or something. And I went down there and I listened to it on my iPhone and I said, you know what? I I actually like it better than the original version. So that's why I chose it because it was it was such an example of, um, you know, the song, just when you think you have it finished, it's not finished. And, and uh, yet I still was able to release it. So what kind of editing and polishing did you do to the song? Because it, it's quite short. It's like two minutes, 38 seconds. Yeah, definitely. As over the course of the year, or I guess in that case would have been about eight months since it was birthed in a creative moment to the actual recording, playing it live here and there and playing it back to myself off of voice memos. You know, I just drop things down and the, the turns of phrase the it all just kind of gets naturally over time like a sculpture it just kind of gets you just kind of figure out where it is what it's going to be and then finalizing lyrics is also something that just kind of organically happens with that you, i played it live enough times had enough examples of it recorded on on my iphone that i could listen back and say oh i love the way this sounds i don't know what the lyric is but let me see where i could what phonetically fits there that also lyrically makes sense. Um, Once a song is ready to go in my mind, I usually put it into Pro Tools and then play all the instruments, start singing the vocals. And oftentimes I'll say, yeah, that that bridge needs to get changed or that outro is too long or whatever the case may be. Usually I won't edit it in Pro Tools. I'll just re-record it. I find that if I over edit recordings, then it's very obvious. And, you know, I'll take out a a line here and there and, and cut a, maybe there's a transition that's two bars that I'll make one, but I'm not much of a producer in the sense of where I'll go in and work in beats and bars and, oh, yeah. you know, it's more like, I just want to imagine that it's a tape machine, even though it's a computer yeah. and get a performance on each instrument. And then if it needs to get changed, just do it over again. Hmm, that's a great way of approaching it, actually. So uh, let's take a listen to it. And you do something interesting vocally with one of the one of the words. So listeners, listen for that, and we'll talk about it when we get back. She's a girl Loves this world
<laughs> Very cool. Only one by Bill Bartholomew. So the thing that I, that really stood out to me, well, for one thing, there's there is no there's no fat on that song. That is like the purest rendition of the song, and it's it's great because it's it doesn't feel short, like it doesn't feel truncated, but it's uh, there's not a lot of knees bent advancing behavior, as they say. <laughs> but it was a really interesting technique, and I think it's a wonderful little hook. And I, I don't know if you intended it to be this. That uh, so I guess it's the end of the chorus. Da da da, like that. Mm -hmm. That phrase, like that, is a very unsongwritery kind of phrase. Most people would say that because that is a very. It's a short song. It, it, it's a short word. It it ends in a hard T. Mm -hmm. But at first, it's almost a little jarring. But it really sticks out, and it becomes this hook at the end of that line and it's so effective i don't know if you if that was on purpose or yeah it's it's an interesting line because it also is you know what is what is the that hmm. you know because i don't even necessarily set it up i say in the valley you know whatever in the valley like that like what do you mean like what um so it's really open-ended lyrically i love and this comes maybe from the broadcast side but I love the way that the T's sound or if, if they're uh, because, like you said, they can be a little jarring. But it, in terms of a technique, it really is just it was organic. Um, but I understand exactly what you're saying, because there's a way that it serves as an extra little hook. You know, mm -hmm. it's a little bonus hook in a sense. And like you said, it could be off putting, but it also is it's memorable. And some people would read that lyric written out or the entire song lyric and say, what is he talking about? Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's lost in his own little world, I guess, which to me in that instance is kind of fine because I want to invite you into that world as much as I can. And I want to go into as many other artists worlds as I can as well. So I think there's the, all of those things are factors in, in that song. And, uh, and then also like, I think the biggest thing is like phonetically, I'm sure if I listen back to the earliest iterations of the voice memos of that song, I probably said like that, that was probably yeah. one of the first and working backwards, I might've at one point thought, well, I'll explain what that is earlier in the verse, but then other things came along and it just never, it never, <laughs> it never came about. So that's, that's, that's probably the backstory on that. And then it is truncated. It is, or it is short. And I, I'm pretty sure that's kind of how it always was. I don't, I, I don't think it ever really had a, there was definitely no solo or intro or anything like that. I, I there's always the possibility that there was another verse, you know, verse one, verse two, then chorus. But um, sometimes they just come out kind of like in, in an ideal sense uh, of uh, of time frame, you know, it's easy to think that you have to fill out a song, and you don't necessarily have to It'd be a much mm -hmm. better solution. I just want to talk one more thing about the that, and it's just because it's an unusual technique, and I can see people kind of going, "Oh, I'm not going to go with that because it's you know they go for a longer word." But the fact that there's that, it adds this rest to this very sort of long lyrical lines that it kind of gives you this little rest that kind of gives you a little bit of a space and that's really really an effective tool because i think it could get a little bit samey if it if the whole thing was just lyrically all the way through you know? it's it's a lot of lyrics it's a lot of abstract lyric you know and you know i'm an x so complex you know that that right there is like well, what is the, what is x you know and if you look at the the lyric sheet it's the letter x you know some people mm -hmm. might go x e x it's a song about a girl it's actually X. So now is it an X factor? Is it a yeah. gender thing? Is it something else? Is it a, you know, what, what's going on here? And um, so you're right. The, the, the space is a nice reset and it's something that I think is really important. And maybe again, I've learned from doing talk radio and podcasting is the pause, the great talkers, they mm. know when to not say anything. It's the same in sports cast. A great, you know, football game or hockey game or whatever it may be. It, they're, they're, you know, the great play happens and 
the instinct might be to fill it up with as much. Oh my God. But yeah, sometimes like, it's just like silence, hmm. nothing, five seconds, 10 seconds. Those are the, those are the sports casts that I go back sometimes and watch on YouTube at two in the morning and just like have my breath taken away, even though I've seen them four or five or 10 times is like space is important. The imagination is important. Everyone is going to receive, who receives a song or a piece of content is going to have a different relationship with it. So why not give them as much time to formulate that relationship as possible? And the last chord is really cool. What is that last chord? <laughs> so I just go to um, an E major seven, although I'm capable, it's not E major. This is my musical, non-music, my songwriter, not musician brain. It's like capo seven, E major seven. So the song is basically, you know, it's just a G, E major, A minor, D, A minor, D. So closing out the song on that, with yeah. the with the E major 7 really open and stacking. I, I kind of laugh there at those harmonies because it's like, all right, you know, because we made that comment about Beatles. It's like, all right, there's Beatles 101. Just oh, stack yeah. stack those harmonies like that. But also Elliot Smith, who was basically Beatles 101. A, a lot of really um, songwritery artists will, uh, you know, will benefit from, uh, or, or anybody who I think is is trying to figure out how to end a song. Sometimes like find that the most awkward chord in the song and just end it with that and then stack <laughs> harmonies on it. And it'll create a really compelling, almost like jazz hands, like, ta-da, we're out of here. Yeah, no, it's it's really, really effective. Would this be a hard song to pull off live? Well, I, I actually haven't played it as often live. Now, it, it's, it's, it is. Yeah, actually, it is. It's actually a hard song to create the softness with. It has to be the right setting for me to play that that song. Um, just like there are songs where it has to be the right setting for me to, you know, the more electric, full stuff. I'm not going to play, I'm not going to blab. I've learned to, I don't want to take people's heads off. If I'm in a smaller space with a smaller crowd, I'll probably play that song. If I'm in a bigger space, uh, especially one that's not like a theater scenario, um, like that's like a club where people are going to, you know, I'm not going to be able to get quiet enough to bring that crowd into me so uh, yeah it's a hard song those types of songs in general are hard to play live in the scenarios where other types of songs tend to work right. so that's why i like to have the flexibility of you know here's the core set and then based on whatever scenario there is um even audibles during a show because we'll be like this place is rowdy we don't need to play that either that song lonely one or a song that's in that vein let's just do another up-tempo song or keep jamming or whatever the case may be. Now, what are you doing um, to get this song out? Because lots of people are writing songs and recording, but they uh, they want to get it out in front of people. What are you doing to get it out in front of people? Uh, <laughs> such a drag, you know, when you really think about it. It's, it's uh, you know, it's on Spotify, it's on TikTok and all that stuff, playing live. Um, certainly I've gotten some local and regional press some college radio in the northeast u.s um to me it's just always been about the hustle you know right. one listener at a time that's been my the story of my whole artistic career is hustle and sometimes i've gotten a little break so many times it's just been grinded out um i'm trying to do as much like I love this show and I love that we're doing this today. This is very satisfying. And it's th that th th something like this is, is just a perfect way to get a song out there. Um, I'm not spending money on any, you know, playlist nonsense or let's have, you know, let's have bots in, you know, Eastern Europe, right. you know, go through and <laughs> doctor YouTube and all that. And people are doing that. Yeah. And you know, what's always what I what I see is I go, oh, okay, you have a hundred thousand streams on Spotify and you're playing next Friday night in your hometown. I'll show up at that show. And if there's 15 people there, I'll pretty much guaranteeing that you're, you know, those numbers aren't aren't authentic um mm. in terms of total streams, you know what I mean? Or it's it's hard to believe that they would be. But it's some ideas I have are to keep making videos, um, both sitting in front of my phone 
making i'll film nature i'll film the different b-roll things put those little clips up on tiktok and push it out there and just again that hustle of playing solo playing with my band uh playing in new york playing in providence playing around new england um trying to uh, i'm I applied for South by Southwest. I don't know if I'll, if I'll get in this year or not going to Nashville and that's it, you know, because I don't, one thing that I've learned and it's been in, in more so in my radio and TV and podcasting side is that if you keep doing the work and it's true in music too, but specifically if you keep doing the work and you keep creating the content and you, you, you just work hard, give it everything you can and you meet the right person who's the right ambassador between you and a larger platform. That's the, that's the trick. And I just keep grinding out on the music side. And I've had these encounters where people have given, I've gotten opportunities because of that one person that says, Oh, I know this person at uh, MTV and they're looking for a, a song that's just like that. What do you, would you, can you come in and present that song? Sure. One random person, you know, you could mail out a million CDs, you could get 10 million plays on Spotify, and I wouldn't have met that person, and I wouldn't have gotten that opportunity. So it's just, to me, that's always been the mentality, just grind it out. I know that um, I'm realistic about what this post-COVID, it's not even post-COVID, because we're still in it, but the, the sort of post-onset of COVID change in the music business is, and that means that I don't, I, I've been in a band where you get in the van and you're sleeping on a floor in Buffalo after playing in front of a hundred people. And then so the next night you're in Ithaca, yeah. New York, and you're sleeping in the van and you just played in front of five people. And by the way, you've got to pay rent and you've got to eat. And I've done that, that thing. And it was a lot of fun. And it was also, it got to a point where it was like, this isn't even art anymore. So being in an indie band traveling around and all that, I don't know that that's even really between my own sort of having done that thing. And then also in this post onset of COVID world, I'm not sure that that's the right thing to do either. What's the value of going to play in Memphis or Kitchener, Ontario for <laughs> four people, you know, um, versus being here and writing another song tomorrow night and keep pushing your own or my own or anybody's own creative chops and being prepared for that moment will come where you'll encounter somebody who can say, I'll help you advance this, but be ready for them. And no, no one's going to save you. That's the other thing I've learned. No one's coming along to say, Oh, great. Come with me for this ride. You know, this is, uh, we're going to make, we're going to get this song on every radio station in the world. And you're going to be, you're going to be a star kid. Like, yeah. I mean, so it's like, so that's not the, that's not an option or it shouldn't be and um so maybe uh maybe don't think that way don't obsess over that don't measure success by that measure success by the encounters that you have one on one and if your music or your art impacts them or your show in your case you know and your music in your case and you know it's that that one-on-one -on -one impact is ultimately what's going to make a difference in the bigger sense anyway so just give it 100 percent there yeah, that's um, that's that's some great stuff. Do you think being close to New York uh, helps? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Energy-wise, I think it's you know, people say the internet has made the big cities irrelevant. I don't think that's true. I think there's an energy in New York that is there's a competitiveness. It's just a it's just a numbers game. I'm gonna see some great songs here in Rhode Island by other songwriters. I'm probably going to see a lot more great songs if I go to an open mic or I have a show in New York because there's just more people writing more songs and it's going to be more inspiring and you're going to get more broad creativity writ large. Well, that's true. Nothing, uh, nothing beats good old-fashioned network, you know? Bingo. <laughs> well, I think I hear the band and I think that means that's all the time we have here on Song Talk Radio. Bill, thanks so much. This has been awesome. Bill, thanks, so where I really can people appreciate it. go to get more of your good stuff? On social media, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, Bill Bartholomew, Spotify, Bandcamp. Just search for me, Bill Bartholomew. And uh, my podcast is Bartholomew Town. 
and you can find that also on those same platforms. And how do you spell the last um, the last uh, name? Sure, it's B A R T H O L O M, as in Matthew E W. Awesome. Well, out there in podcast land, don't forget, we'd love to hear from you so you can, on any subject. So send us an email at feedback at songtalk.ca. And you can find the links to all the products, books, and whatnot that we talk about here on the show on the resources page. And why not join us for the next Song Talk Radio Songwriters Meetup? It's on Zoom, you know. It's where you can network with other songwriters and get insightful feedback on your works in progress. Free to join and free to attend. Stop by the website at songtalk.ca for the link and the info. You can get more of Neil at neilmodi.com, even though he's not here. And if you want more of me, you can go to philemory.ca. And stop by the website at songtalk.ca, browse past shows, and find out how you can be a guest on the very next show. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Good night. Good night.